Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. To those who are joining here and those who are joining online, it is Sunday, October the 2nd. I think my audio just came on right there. Welcome all. Uh, I apologize. I have finally caught the cold that's been going around my house, so my voice is a little off today, but I will do my best to be at least semi-understandable, which is probably better than typical anyway. Our scriptures today are pretty short. You could follow along if you wish to on page 54 for Exodus 20:13 and page 684 for Matthew 5:21:22. Exodus 20, 13. You shall not murder. This is why we have to write sermons, because otherwise I'd be done already for the day. Matthew 5. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, that is, fool or contempt, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, the, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Amen. So, I thought about starting this sermon off with a bit of a joke. How many of you here have broken the sixth? And some of you may chuckle at that, and, and some of you might, might kind of go, okay, I'll think about this, you know. So, so sometimes we have the sixth as you shall not murder, other times it's you shall not kill. And you know what? I've killed. I haven't meant to, but I've taken a couple deer out with my car, some squirrels, chipmunks, um, numerous, innumerable numbers of flies and mosquitoes and spiders and whatnot. Or I could kind of go spread it out a bit, like, yes, okay, I, I eat meat. I like a good steak, a good burger, chicken, pork, rattlesnake. I haven't had rattlesnake in a long time. Don't get me rattlesnake. I actually don't really care for it one way or the other. It's just a funny thing I've eaten. Not as good as gator. Gator's good. Okay, I can work it out that way. Or I can even like go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not responsible directly for any person's death, but you know what, I live a life. I buy things, and, and let's face it, we know that the things that we buy these days have long stories from when they were first harvested from whatever way they were taken from the earth until they were produced and brought to us, and there's probably some deaths that were caused upon along the way. It's hard to say, depending on the item. But then the more I thought about starting with this, making this joke, I thought it was a really poor taste. I'll tell you why. I'm going to keep this friend of mine as anonymous as possible. I'm going to use the uh, singular they, so I'm not even going to remember reveal whether this person is a guy or a girl as much as I can, because it's not my story to tell. But I think it's important here. My friend has broken the sixth. He has killed, God, she, they have killed a person. I said he already, I'll always go with it. 
Singular they, I'm still getting used to that idea in terms of saying it out loud. It's easy to write. It's hard to memorize. My friend has killed a person. He has killed one of his best friends. They were young. It was about three or four years before I met them, met him. And he and two friends who were of age over-imbibed. They made a dumb decision, and the three of them got in a car. My friend was driving. He didn't realize that he was crossing into the other lane. He also didn't realize when he crossed all the way through that lane and ran high speed into a tree. Now, my friend still deals with the physical repercussions of that moment. He's a very active person, about 10 or so years younger than I am. He likes to go out and, and hike. He likes to work out. Uh, it takes a great deal of pride in keeping his figure fit. But he has told me more than once, he always has to be careful. If he pushes himself just a little too far, the old injuries act up, not to mention the hardware that he now carries inside of him to keep his bones where they're supposed to be. But it's not just those scars that remain. One of the friends also ended up in the ICU, actually on life support because of this car accident. His other friend died on the scene. That scar has never gone away. It never will. He carries that guilt with him every moment of his life. We've had more than one talk. It, it has led him to do positive things with his life. The, the courts actually were really lenient with him. They said basically it was three young men who've got basically no records. They did something dumb, but they were all complicit in it. And it makes no sense to punish any of the two survivors worse than what they've already experienced and deal with. So my friend got, got uh, parole and, um, and community service. But he's decided to turn his life to God. He now serves God as, as, a, as a pastor, but also he serves as a person who visits those who are about to die, as a hospice chaplain and a chaplain in ICU units. Trying to make up for what he did. But he knows he never will, at least in his own heart. To take a life, to take a human life, is something that you never get over, from what I can tell. I've not experienced it myself. It's something that you carry with you in your soul. We live in a society where we we simultaneously make light of it and at the same time take it extremely seriously. Think about it. You watch a movie. I mean, if we had the survival rate of those who, apply, those who live in movies, we'd all be dead. Because the people just getting killed left and right in the movies, right? We, we kind of celebrate it. We all want to see the emperor thrown down the reactor shaft at the end of Return of the Jedi. We all want to see... You're laughing, I made a Star Wars reference, yeah. We all want to see, you know, the land baron get killed by the vigilante. Or we want to see that crime boss go to jail for life, for all the deaths that he has caused through his organization. We want to see that. We want to see them get punished. It tickles our justice bone. But at the same time, when that actual murder happens in this world, we have to figure out why it happened. Now, part of it is 
we just want to understand. We want to fix whatever happened and avoid it from happening again. The other part is we have to prove to ourselves that there is something aberrant about this happening. Some reason it happened that is explainable to the rest of us. You know, oh, this, this person was abused. You know, either by the victim or by someone else. And that is why they chose to act out in this way. Or, or they deal with some mental disability that makes it hard for them to tell right from wrong or to make rational choices. You know, or they had that one really, really bad day in which the world just fell apart and it was too much for their mental capability and they broke. We have to come up with reasons. You know, there's two acceptable reasons people can kill one another, whether you accept them or not. This is the way society looks. You can either kill someone in self-defense or you can kill someone in war. But outside of that, we have to come up with a good reason why someone deserves, or why someone, not deserves, but why someone was killed. We just have to have a reason. Because we all recognize that the taking of another person's life is not natural to us. Okay, maybe kind of. Maybe this is something we deal with more as a modern society. Sort of. So I was thinking about this. It's one of those things where we really have to take a step back. Because do not murder seems like a very obvious kind of rule for everyone. We should not go around killing other people. Duh. Well, why? Because what happens if you kill the wrong person? You get killed. Pretty obvious, especially think about the old days. You go off and have a fight with some person, you kill them, their brother comes after you, and they kill you. That's the way feuds start. So let's look back a little. First thing I did was I actually just went back a little distance to about 150 years ago. About 150 years ago, we had a major change in our society. One that we never really think about, but I think is poignant. 150 years ago, it became unacceptable to duel. Have you ever thought about that? We don't duel today. You don't become insulted by some person and say, you know, take out your, your glove and slap him across the face and go outside and, you know, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., duel with pistols or swords or rubber chickens. Now, we don't do that anymore. That only started about 150 years ago. In fact, you know, like, Abraham Lincoln had to be talked out of a duel. That's how, it's not that far back. Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, managed to get out of a duel by telling so many tall tales about how he was the best dueler out there until his opponent chickened out. Well, the dueling is a hallmark of a different kind of society. We call it the honor-shame society, or an honor-shame culture. We live in a slightly different culture. We are called a pride-guilt culture. Now, you aren't one or the other. You're always both. There's a mixture of the two. We are primarily, though, a pride-guilt. And this is, this is the idea. A pride-guilt is my self-worth is contingent on how I feel about me. It depends on how I think about myself. So if I think I do a lot of good work, 
that I pay off my debts, or I'm, I'm a good person in society, that I don't do too many wrong things, I don't have to feel guilty, I'm a great person. Or the opposite, I feel like I do lots of bad things, and I feel guilty. My self-worth is based upon what I think about me. In terms of interpersonal, you know, how I deal with others, and the guilt, uh, and the pride-guilt society, it all has to come down basically to currency and credit. How I relate to other people is according to what I am able to give them and what they're able to give me. That is how we determine our worth in society. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just the way it is. You know, think about it. How many people here, you know, check your credit at least once a year or more often? Because it's important to us how the society ranks our importance to the world. That's the pride guilt. Before that is the honor shame. Honor shame still exists. It's the primary cultural keystone within Africa, within, within Asia. It's actually still alive here in the US, especially among the gentry in the south and in the inner city in the poverty, er poverty areas of the inner city. Honor shame doesn't say your self-worth is measured by how you think about yourself, but how everybody else thinks about you. You know, it's the opposite. So what you all think about me is whether it determines whether I am an honorable person or a shameful person. And this, this has a wider ramifications than how you feel about yourself. Because if you think I'm a shameful person, you're not going to do business with me. You're not going to listen to my opinion. You're not going to lend me money. You're not going to do business with me. If I am a shameful person, you won't do those things. If I'm an honorable person, you probably will. So that's what society used to be like for pretty much all over the world. And anyone who, who harms that, that, that honor is a threat. I mean, think about it in terms, again, think about in terms of credit. You know, our society, we think about it as credit. You're really careful to make sure you pay your bills if you can, right? You don't want that appearing on your credit. That's going to hurt your ability to do other things. If you don't pay your bills, you get a bad credit, you can't get a car loan. You're careful. Now, what if that's something that someone else does? What if, say, my brothers are terrific guys. Let's say my brother Jacob does a horrible, horrible thing. I'm not saying what he did. He knows what he did. He didn't do anything. But you know... In a, pride, in a shame honor system, you all are perfectly allowed to apply some of my brother's shame to me. It is also my shame. Now, there's two options. I could either go down with him, or I could stand up and point at him with the rest of you and be even louder with the hope that some of you will apply honor back to me because obviously I am better than him. That's the system that the Israelites live in. It looks different than what we live in today. we got to start there. That they didn't view the world the same way. They didn't view self-worth in the same way. It's not the individual. It's how the collective views the individual. If you all think that I am shameful, then that can ruin my life. So there are ways to deal with that. That's where we get dueling. 
Why do people duel in the old days? Because that was a way to erase shame and regain honor. Because it was socially acceptable by the group that that is how you can do that. But this commandment, this commandment changes some things. Because back then, I, that's all you had to do. If you wronged me, if you said a mean thing against me, and I thought it was causing me shame, I could kill you. Or at least, you know, invite you to a duel and then be killed or kill you. But God says not to do that. Don't go out there and just regain your honor by force of arm. Don't do that. Don't just go out and kill. In those days, it caused lots of problems. You, can't, you couldn't simply just go out and kill people. If you did, you still faced repercussions. And there's like whole law books written. We, we have the Babylonian one, you know, the, the laws of, of Hammurabi and all those, those codes. They actually have sign worth to every human life. If someone causes you dishonor and so you kill them, if they were someone of a lower status, say they were a slave, you gave their owner 30 bucks. I'm, I'm just, it's like 30 coins or 30 shekels or whatever. I have no idea how much it's worth. But you gave him money. Say they were a free man. Okay, you owe 100 now. Someone of the same rank. Okay, you might go into trial now. But if you're found not guilty, you might just pay, you know, a, a fee, another thing of money. People's lives had worth. God says, no. Just don't kill. Every life has worth. Every life is sacred. Now, we talked about this in other weeks. You know, this idea that blood and breath are considered gods. After all, blood is what makes us live, at least in the idea. I mean, we, we all know we actually have lots of organs that make us live, and you, if you were to remove any of them, that would be bad. But blood's the easy one to think of. You know, people who are cut, they die from bleeding out. Breath is the gift that God puts into the body that gives it life. So we have to be careful not to spoil those things, not to take them away from others. So that rule's already in there. But God goes ahead and raises it one more level and says, look, it's not your right to take it away. You don't get to choose when you harm another person. Now, okay, we can stop and we can look back and see. You'll notice I put up the probably better translation, you shall not murder. Because the Bible actually has different words. There is murder, there's kill, there's slay, there's manslaughter, there's execution. All those exist, more or less. And so here we have a very specific rule, do not murder. Because if you read any further in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you guess what, you come up one after the other after the other of public executions. Lots of stonings, especially stonings. Um, you know, the thing happens all the time in the Old Testament. In fact, not too long in the future, there will be an entire family who is stoned to death. So it's okay, according to the Old Testament, at least state-sanctioned murder. I'm going to stop there. I might jump about, I don't know, 1,500 years into the future to this guy, Jesus. Now, Jesus 
does this thing, especially in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where he tells us an old law, and then he turns it. You shall not murder. I'm going to grab my copy right here. You shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother and sister will be subject to judgment. Wait, why? Okay, so we can all agree. We're, we're putting on our logical hats now. We can all agree it's bad to kill people. You know, even if, if we view the world differently and we think, oh, you know, we need to preserve honor and avoid shame, we can agree that, that God says, we, you know, in order to preserve our honor, we should not just be taking lives. Oh, wait, we can, we can live with this. We can make it work. We'll have other ways where we preserve our pride, our honor. And, and God offers lots of those, you know, in terms of living righteously. If you live righteously, that's how you gain honor in this new system. It's not by who wrongs you, but how you live yourself. So now we're taking a step into the uh, pride-guilt system. Well, what's this about anger? So the Ten Commandments are the first building blocks, the pillars from which we take this idea that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And how do we apply that to our lives? Simple, don't kill people, that's an easy one. But that's only half step. Why don't we kill people? Well, because their lives are sacred. No, 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 that's not it. That's partly there. The reason we don't kill, the reason we don't harm others, is because we are meant to forgive them. If we love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, the thing is, is that makes us change our whole way of living. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter whether we have honor or shame, according to everyone else. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter how we feel about ourselves so much anymore either, whether we have pride or guilt. None of that really matters because if we are focused alone on God, then that is our sole focus. All those other things are all focused on how we perceive ourselves or each other. But God doesn't want us to worry about what we think about. I'm trying to phrase this carefully because I know I'm walking a line of psychology and <laughs> therapy and whatnot that I don't want to cross. But the point is that we shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be centering our self-worth or the worth of others on what they can do for us or how they can harm us. Rather, we are to respect all other people, no matter who they are, because in loving God fully, then we love others fully. In here, you know what? I get angry with my loved ones sometimes. You know, the easy one right now has always been, you know, I've got a five-year-old. Five-year-olds, do not listen to you. You've all been around five-year-olds, right? We've got a four-year-old over there. His mom's going, yeah, and I've got a four-year-old mom. And they don't always listen to you. And sometimes they don't listen to you to the point where you are angry. 
It's like, come on. We've got to get out of here in five minutes. Your class starts if I have just enough time to get you in the car and get you strapped in, and you are sitting on the potty, reading a book, listening to your story over here in your pajamas. Your hair is not brushed. Your teeth are dirty and smelly. It's angering. It's like I pay money to send you to these things. I still love the little little monster. <laughs> She's a good kid. I still love her. In here, though, it's not just anger. Call them Raka, which I don't know what it means, and they said they have on here an Aramaic term of contempt. I can think of several in English, none of which I will say up here. But you can all imagine something, right? Again, you've all been around kids or have been a kid yourself. You know those terms. Or call them, say, you fool. Degrading. It's the degradation of a person's worth. When you kill someone, you are degrading them. You are, in, say, a duel, you are taking away their honor and applying it to yourself. You have regained your honor by stealing theirs. Here, calling them contemptuous names, calling them fool, you are stripping them away of their honor, of their worth, to apply it to yourself. It's the same thing. To degrade another human being, whether you do it in word or action, whether their life is left intact or it's been taken. It's the same thing to God in certain ways. You shall not murder. You could read it this way. You shall respect. You shall respect your brothers and sisters. You shall respect your spouse and child and parents. You shall respect the stranger you meet on the road. Whether they are standing there in a suit or holding up a piece of cardboard and talking to themselves. No person, no person's life is worth money. No person's life is worth less than another's. Every single person you encounter is a child of God. Every person you encounter, their blood and breath has the same worth and importance to God as it is to you, as yours is to God. So, I don't think many of you will have an issue in terms of breaking the sixth commandment as it's written. I pray you never end up in a situation like my friend. Technically, and even according to the Torah, my friend did not break the sixth. It was, it was not murder. It was negligent manslaughter. He didn't mean to. And he's paying for it every day. I don't think any of you will probably break that. But try to follow the commandment behind it. 
Because let's face it, you shall not murder. It's just a step down the road towards loving your neighbors as yourself. And loving your neighbors as yourself, that is the first thing that happens when you truly love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So, may you find yourself respecting every person you meet, no matter who they are, whether they look like you or not, whether they speak the same language as you or not, whether they are from a pride guilt or a shame honor system, whether they think that the opposite party is actually, a, actually there for us. That's a big one. I see that all the time. On... <laughs> May you respect them, knowing that they too are a beloved child of God, just as you are. May you not murder them in your heart as well as in body. Thank you. I almost feel off this Sunday because every other time I've preached one of these Decalogue sermons, I have brought up the creation story. And I didn't do that today, but here we go. Here's the creation story in this because all the Decalogue points back at the creation as well as pointing forward to Revelation. And here's the thing. Whether... You know, you, whether you look at the creation story and you say this is poetic or this is literal, the first part of the Bible reminds us that we are all descendants of one God. We are all descendants of one family, no matter who we are, what we look like. And the very first sin, the thing that's called sin first in the Bible, is when Cain and Abel, well, when Cain kills Abel, the first sin, the murdering of a brother. From there, it all falls apart even further. So, remember when you go out there today that even if, if someone looks completely different, believes something different, acts completely different, even if they think that Nickelback is a great band, they deserve love and respect. So, Love and respect all those you meet. Don't have to like them. That's okay. I don't like every person I meet. I like all of you, just pointing that out. But it's okay as long as you still love and respect them because they are God's child as well. So go out there, love and respect. Murder not in your heart as well as with your hands. Amen.